The Deluxe Edition Network, also known as The Den, is an incredible podcast network that offers a wide variety of entertaining and informative podcasts. With a lineup of shows covering various topics, such as interviews with a wide variety of guests, history, music, relationships, true crime, and so much more. The Den provides content that caters to a diverse range of interests. The hosts and guests on the Deluxe Edition Network demonstrate a deep passion and expertise in their respective fields, making each episode on each show engaging and thought-provoking. The network fosters a sense of community by encouraging listeners to interact through live chats, social media, and forums, creating an inclusive environment for discussion and sharing opinions. With its commitment to high-quality production, the shows in the Deluxe Edition Network continue to captivate and entertain its ever-growing audience. Whether you're a podcast enthusiast or someone looking to explore new topics, The Den is a fantastic platform to dive into and uncover fascinating insights from experts in their fields. The Deluxe Edition Network is the home of independent awesomeness. To find all these great podcasts in one convenient location, head over to DeluxeEditionNetwork.com. That's DeluxeEditionNetwork.com. What's up, everybody? I'm Matt, the host of the Beard Laws Podcast, a podcast that has nothing to do with beards. A podcast where we aim to entertain and interact with our live viewers, but our listeners, they're like the quiet person that never talks sitting around the bonfire because the rest of the group is so entertaining, hilarious, wild, and a little bit dumb. So grab a drink, grab a snack, and let Beard Laws and the boys, Toby, Brandon, Logan, Zach, Richie, and our occasional special guest entertain you. We're live on the Beard Laws YouTube Thursdays at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and for every reason you want to see us and or our beards, check us out, the Beard Laws Podcast.com. Come, we're everywhere. Today's podcast is brought to you by Copper John's Beard Company. Copper John's is committed to taking you on a journey to create your perfect beard through their quality ingredients and scents. Their specially formulated oil and butter will make you and your beard look healthy, manly, and wise. Copper John's is the only beard product company that uses inland sea minerals. Google it. Inland Sea Minerals. Head over to copperjohnsbeard.com and use promo code DELUXE10 at checkout to save 10% off of your entire order. That's copperjohnsbeard.com and use code DELUXE10 at checkout. This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, Head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Welcome to another episode of Deluxe Edition. I am your host, Casey Shearer. Joining me, as always, Mr. Flamboyant, L. Ray Sexton. 
What's going on, Casey? Not too much, buddy. How are you? Oh, I'm having a day. Are you having, having a day? A, I am having a day. All right. Yes. Then. You know why your name was Mr. Flamboyant today? Because we have an excellent guest today who also has a great AKA, as they call it. Yes. We just spoke to Mr. Outrageous Al Burke, who was a, I hate to say the word, jobber in the late 80s, early 90s for the WWF. I call them professional wrestlers because that's what he did. He made your favorite wrestlers of the day look fabulous. This dude was awesome. He's got some amazing stories. The stories that he can't tell on the podcast are are better than the ones he can tell on this podcast, but uh, the ones that he told on the show are, are outrageous. Uh, there, there are moments when he slips and lets some, some shit slide that he sh- probably shouldn't have. So I think this is one people are going to like. Yeah, this was a fun episode. So uh, let's just do the house cleaning quick, and then we will get into it. We are a part of the Deluxe Edition Network. You can find all of the other great shows on the network over at deluxeeditionnetwork.com. The podcasts of the month this month are The Graveyard Club and Terror Tuesday. Terror Tuesday is an Instagram live exclusive show every Tuesday with our friend Amber. And The Graveyard Club is mostly on YouTube. Uh, They are on Spotify as well. Check them out. And let's see. You can find us over on Instagram at Deluxe Edition Pod. Ray handles all of the Instagram duties over there. Ray, tell everybody what you do over there on Instagram. Well, on Instagram, I just post a lot of dumb shit. So if you're into dumb shit, then come over to Instagram. It's a fun time. I'm telling you, even your mom would like it. Yeah, it's a lot of uh, like birthdays um movie releases album releases stuff like that yeah, he posts I, reels yeah. from the show yeah I, I i summed it up dumb shit so yeah, no. yeah i mean if you're into dumb shit come god damn it come over to instagram check for, it out for fuck's sake man you love dumb shit we all know we love dumb shit come over to instagram And if you want to see some more dumb shit, come over to our Facebook page. Check us out on Facebook.com slash Deluxe Edition Pod. If you want to support our show, go over to Patreon.com slash Deluxe Edition Pod. You can find all of our shows over there immediately after it is recorded and unedited. You can hear about what Ray and I talk about before and after the show. Let's see. If you want to buy a t-shirt, head over to whatamaneuver.net slash collection slash deluxe dash edition and get a t-shirt. You can buy a deluxe edition network t-shirt or a deluxe edition t-shirt. Ray, if the people don't want to spend all of that money on an actual t-shirt. Hey, 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 look, I got you. All right. These t-shirts that Casey's hawking, they cost a pretty penny. But you can come over to my page over on T Public, the Ten Cent Beer Night page. I got you covered. I got the I got the Ten Cent Beer Night stuff. I got the Deluxe Edition stuff. And if you message me, I'll make whatever the fuck you want, and I'll save you some money. That's how it works. But yeah. more importantly, I would like to tell our our nice friends out there: Can you please 
like, subscribe, and share our shit with everyone you know because it really helps us out immensely if you just like, subscribe, and share. Totally makes our day. I, I you know I can't tell you how much we appreciate it, and uh, we appreciate all of you who listen. And um, Casey, what's about to happen now? Well, one more thing here, Ray. In a couple days, it's going to be Halloween, and we are giving away a very rare custom Funko Pop. Jason Voorhees. Look at that. From the Friday the 13th Roseblood movie that I was in. Mm -hmm. There's only about five of these in existence. So... Ray and I are going to be giving this away on Halloween night in a live drawing. If you want to win this, all you have to do is email us at deluxeeditionpod at gmail.com and say, I want to win the custom Funko Pop. Or you could message us over at Instagram at deluxeeditionpod. Or message us on Facebook, facebook.com slash deluxe edition pod. Or you can come over to deluxe edition dot show and there's a contact form at the bottom. Contact us there and just write, I want to win the custom Funko Pop. I did all that yesterday, but I'm not sure I'm eligible. <laughs> <laughs> you are not eligible to win. Damn it. <laughs> Somebody's going to win this awesome prize, and now it's not going to be me. No, sorry, buddy. Yeah, that's all right. All right. Email us. Tell your friends. Mm-hmm. Like us. Share us. Here is our episode with Al Burke. Al, thanks for joining us, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Good to see you. Nice T-shirt there. Who's Andre on your shirt there? Well, this is Andre the Giant. I always tease people. Who can say they've stepped in the ring with Andre? I can <laughs> two times. So yeah, yeah, I'm kind of blessed that way. Yeah, that, actually, that's one of the things that was on my notes. Actually, one of the matches that I watched on YouTube is you and a partner, and uh, Andre and Haku beat the hell out of your partner, and you you were on the apron. You didn't even get in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> that was, and that was a really good friend of mine too. Um, I had already worked that night, little backstage story. I'd already worked that night, so they told me, don't even bother to tag in. Well, originally they showed it where Haku brought him over the corner. I'm like, nah. nah. <laughs> and they thought that was too much for me and not for them, of course. And as I found out from all the TV tapings, I mean, a lot of times we would fight back, and they would just edit it out because it didn't make them look strong enough or whatever their reasons because, you know, we understand it is their show. We're just there to put them over. But, yeah, at the end, I'm like, fine, just beat me like a stepdog. I don't care. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Wow, I never knew that, man, that they edited. I knew that they did, like, the voiceovers back in Connecticut, uh, yeah. but I never knew that they edit, actually edited some of the uh, parts of the matches out. Well, they did. And, um, you know, you'd watch, and like, wait, I-, I hit them a dozen times. And uh, <laughs> I-, I see now where you're going with this. That's crazy, man. That's awesome, yeah. though. So when did you get your start in uh, in pro wrestling? 
Well, I started in the uh, mid eighties and I was brought into WWF in, um, I think it was 88 was my first match against Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Louisville, Kentucky. I remember walking out in the fan screaming, you're going to get your ass kicked. <laughs> and you know, I'm looking at like whatever, 50, 60,000. like, yeah, I guess I am. <laughs> and I asked the guys, I go, you know, what do I do? Do I go out there and try? And they go, you think this guy's going to give up his half a million or million dollar a year job to some piss ant like you? <laughs> so I went out there. First thing Jim did is kick me right square in the solar plexus, bent me over and hit me with a forearm. I'm like, oh, fuck. And I figured that was my little initiation into the WWF where I had a lot of friends coming out of Minneapolis. So that helped. Yeah. You know, I had the Ricky Roods and the uh, Kurt Hennings and the Road Warriors, things like that. You know, so, you know, I came from good upbringing. So, but they made sure I had to pay my dues too. Yeah. So you trained up in Minnesota with the. Uh, I actually trained. Um, I was going to train at Eddie Sharkey's camp, and his head trainer at the time was Dan Rignati. Dan was uh, Riggs and the Terminators, the tag teams. And, uh, so I was talking to Dan, and Dan said, well, let me go back a little bit. I went with Dan and his partners over to Hulk Hogan's house or his apartment way back when. It's now the Mall of America. They tore it down. But anyways, Hulk told us where to go to school, how to train, things like that. And I walked away going, no, I can't do this for a living. This is stupid. And my buddies were like, oh, my God, this is so cool. We can't wait. <laughs> and I listened to their stories for two years. And then finally I decided, you know what? Yeah, I guess I'll give this a try. Cause you know, they gave me the pretty convincing story that yeah, this is a hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> so Dan was going to train me as head, Eddie Sharkey's head trainer, but Eddie didn't have a ring at the time. He was training guys on mats. And, you know, Dan knew my background from boxing, karate, bare knuckle fighting, you know, underground street fighting and stuff. So he thought I'd be a pretty good match for, you know, the WWF and, you know, pro wrestling. So he agreed to train me and he found a, a, another ring in Minnesota. It was actually uh, the Iron Duke, if you remember Jim Mitchell. He was missing these fingers. You know, Kurt Henning was always brutal. Like, hey, Jim, you want to go fishing? Hey, give me a call, okay? <laughs> you know, I mean, Kurt was hilarious. You know, I, I, I loved him to death, but boy, he was brutal sometimes. That's awesome. So, so that's how I got my training and got into it. And yeah, been a good run. 37 years in the ring now. It's, uh, I walked away just as a pandemic hit. I finished up a tour in uh, Toronto, Canada. I worked for some guys up there and, went up and did an angle where I think I had five or six matches and yeah, it was a good time. So, you know, I'm, I'm very happy with what I achieved in those 37 years. And plus I can still walk and talk and yeah. be somewhat, you know, human about it. Yeah. So like coming up, like, you know, before the, before you went to the WWF, were you, was the territory system still a thing where like, were you going around the country or were you mainly working like one area? I was working multiple areas. Yes, territories were still big in effect at that time. So I was working all the smaller territories, and I decided, you know, because I was warned ahead of time, you know, if you go into some place uh, as a jobber, you may never leave anything but a job. So I decided, you know, WWF is the only place where I wanted to go, and they were playing, paying big bucks anyways. 
And so I think I did like 30 TV matches for them. So I got to travel a lot for them. I did some house shows too. But yeah, they were the the big dogs, of course. They still are, but uh, they paid the best money. And I, you know, I was in this for the money. So I paid off my wrestling school in less than a year just from working with the WWF. Nice. So, you know, I'm very, very happy about that. But, yeah, I worked with a lot of the little local groups out of Minnesota. I worked for um, some of them in Wisconsin. I did a little bit in Iowa. And then from there I started branching out more and more and ended up going to work for a guy out of Denver, the International Wrestling Alliance, the IWA. And I worked for them for eight years. And that was also during the time I was with WWF, so um, I was able to travel over. But, yeah, I flew to Denver, uh, average about once a month, year-round, for eight years. So, you know, had a, you know, I mean, sometimes we would go and do, you know, a two- or three-week tour. He actually developed the his business, not the area, because he ended up like Vince, where he was just going everywhere he wanted to, and, we did a lot of military bases. We did Indian reservations, um, you know, high schools, you know, armories. That's really old school work in the armories, things like that all over the country. So, and he ended up, I, I had left him at that point, but he got an international contract with the military. I know one of my tag team bar- partners, um, Satin Dahl, we used to have a do, do a mixed tag. Uh, her opening night on the first tour was Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. Oh, so wow. it's like that would have been freaking awesome. But at that point, I'd already left, moved on, and moved up to bigger and better things. So I'm still good with that. Yeah. So like, how do you how did you get the call then to move up to the WWF? Um, Tom Stone knew of me. Uh, Tom Stone was the booker, but he's out of Milwaukee. And, you know, the need became more and more for more guys to come in and do TV for WWF. So he called me knowing that I I had a good grasp on the people there. And at the time, I probably had 25 or 30 guys that I could choose from. So, you know, a good pool. And our biggest trip, I don't remember where it was, but I ended up renting three minivans to haul all of us to the shows. (laughs) So, yeah, and WWF paid for it. I mean, you know, it was really, you know, it was a cool deal. And, you know, people were like, well, you, all you did is get your ass kicked. They go, you don't understand. These are the biggest, baddest dudes in the whole wrestling world. I mean, when you can step up to an Ultimate Warrior, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, or Hercules, or Bushwhackers, Rockers, Legion of Doom, Heart Foundation, you know, Steiner Brothers. I mean, you're not going to get any bigger and badder than this. And, you know, it was really, it was cool. It was, I had a good time. Yeah, I got my ass kicked dang near every single night. But I got paid well. Yeah, isn't the old saying, pin me, pay me, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so. I heard you say jobber, so I heard like I know a lot of a lot of the guys um, don't like to be called jobbers. They like they like they're professional wrestlers. It doesn't bother you at all. That same thing. Pay me, I'm happy. I, I'm a <laughs> slut. I'm a slut for money. What can I say? <laughs> no, you can call. You know, um, did we go out? I mean, just before uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper died, I was with him about I think it was three weeks before his death, and we were talking and. You know, he was thanking me for what I did for the business. I'm, dude, you know, 
I was a jobber. I'm just putting you guys over. He goes, no, you made us look good. Thank you for that. And I never did get a chance to work against Piper, but um, it's nice that the bigger guys will recognize the fact that, you know, we had a job to do. We weren't there. I mean, I listen to guys, you know, when they're talking to, you know, their opponent ahead of time. He goes, well, geez, you know, can I try a Herkarana or can I try this? Or, you know, shut the fuck <laughs> up, dude. You're there to just do a job. So anytime that they ask my opinion in anything, I gave them a spot that I would do the high spot to make them look bigger. And one of mine was always the slingshot from outside in. And I told them, if you get a chance where I'm outside, I will sell it for a bit, give you a chance to come over, grab the ropes. I'll give you a huge bump. Normally I would bump and my feet would land in the opposite ropes on, on one bounce. That's how far I can get. And, you know, hey, it made them look big and strong and they were happy. I mean, um, probably my best match where somebody gave me something was Jake the Snake. Second time, I second or third time I worked with him. And he goes, go ahead and hit me. Hit me good. Knock me out of the ring. Okay. Bam. <laughs> and, you know, out of the ring he went. He sold it. And, and then I'm like, yeah, come on. Come on, dude. You know, so he kept antagonizing me. Well, you come get me. So I jump out of the ring, of course, chase him around a little bit. Bam, he hits me with the clothesline, and that was it. But, you know, normally we didn't get shit. You know, you go out there, you get beaten in 10 moves or less, and good night. Yeah. So, but, was, you know, some of the guys were really decent. A lot of them, like I said, knew my background in Minnesota and the, you know, a fan base, I guess you'd call it, with, you know, you know the Hennings and, you know, the Roods and guys like that. I remember the night that the Road Warriors first came to WWF, and they chose me to work with them. And they're like, "Hey, I'm, you know, we got to apologize first of all because this is our opening match here. We got to come out really strong, so it's going to be rough." Fuck you! Come on, boys, bring it. But if you watch the match, it looks like they just are totally annihilating. Those guys are such pros. I mean, you know. They hit in the right spot. You know, they plant it on the chest and just, you know, slight little kiss to the face with the other foot on a drop kick. And, yeah, it makes it look like they're just ripping your head off. And, no, these guys, they were super, super pros. And I was very, very happy to work with them and sad that they're gone now. But, you know, part of life is death. Yeah, especially in the wrestling business too, man. I know. I've, um, I've lost so many friends. It's been hard. Yeah. So uh, let's go back to Andre on your, on your shirt. You worked yep. him twice. So the, the one the one time that I saw on YouTube, you didn't get in the ring. How about the other time? How, how was he to work the with? Time. The first time, I think I was with Bob Bradley Jr., a different Bob Bradley than we have out here in California. But went out there, and um, as soon as uh, Haku took me over and smashed me into Andre's boot, who he put up on the top rope, I'm like, fuck that. I'm out of here. Bye, guys. <laughs> And Haku still laughs at that because I told him, I'm getting the fuck out of here. I didn't pay for this. <laughs> and I just saw Haku in uh, Vegas here uh, a couple months ago at the Cauliflower Alley Club, the big reunion. And we still laugh about that, you know, and it's like, no, I remember you were like, no, I'm not getting enough money for this. I'm sending the other guy in for Andre. <laughs> but no, but- that was the first night. Uh, the second night, um, actually, Go back the first night, they were just Colossal Connection. And it was only like a month later, and they threw me back in there. Apparently, I did a really good job and wanted me to face them again. And then it's like, well, you've already worked tonight, so don't worry about it. 
but um, they were uh, the tag team champions at the time, the WWF tag team champions of the world. So, you know, they got, you know, they're walking around with those straps and yeah, they were pretty badass. but yeah, great guys, fun. Uh, even Andre was, you know, full of jokes. I mean, not so much in the ring. It's not like working with somebody like the Bushwhackers. God, I'd have to bite my tongue just listening to him talk, you know, because <laughs> they're, they're telling jokes during the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and, you know, boom, 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 they didn't miss a beat. They're, you know, right on their game, but, yeah, it was it was good. So let, let's go back to working twice in one in one night. Do you get paid twice? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, Vince, no, no, don't play that game. Every once in a while, somebody would end up working twice, and I don't think they ever got paid twice. So, But we usually had enough workers where it wasn't a problem, and, we did um, well three full TV rosters, so I think it was ten or twelve, maybe fifteen per night of the sh- the shows we shot, and there were three of them in a night, so it was a long night. Bam! So that's where where the matches were, were, you know, two and a half, three, maybe three and a half minutes long, and moving on to the next. And where were they filming TV at that the, during all that time? over? I mean, I my first match, like I said, was Louisville, Kentucky. God, I did Wheeling, West Virginia. I did Detroit. I did Minneapolis, Green oh, okay. Bay. You know, I mean, we went out to Denver. Um, oh, where was it that Owen Hart uh, ended up having this tragic accident? Omaha. I think that was. I uh, okay. worked in that arena many times. So it was all over. Because I, I grew up in Reading, Pennsylvania, which is right down the road from Hamburg, Pennsylvania. And right. WWF, uh, they used to tape their TV shows in Hamburg at the Hamburg Fieldhouse in the 80s. Yeah. I wasn't sure if you ever worked there. I did not. Uh, East Coast has a really good bunch of guys, you know, very thick in talent. So we never got called out there. I mean, the farthest I got to go was Miami, Florida, which was fun. Um, and then West Coast, once I moved out here, I got a couple shows here. But at that point, I was moving away from WWF. That was in the the early 90s. And, you know, I was on, I had already won a couple of straps at that point for other organizations. And I realized that, you know, I was, I knew I was never big enough for WWF. And, you know, I was there in the steroid era. So, you know, a lot of those boys were pretty freaking big. Yeah. So, like, did they ever say to you, you know, if you do this or do that, we'll give you a little bit of a push or anything? Um, or? I, no, the, they watch you, and then they all of a sudden they'll come to you and go, you got a dark match tonight. And that means, you know, they're looking at you extra close, go out, and it's not going to be on TV, just the fans will see it. Um, I had a couple of those, but, you know, I knew that, you know, the land of the giants wasn't for me. And uh, by going to the smaller indies, you know, I was fitting into the semi-mains all over the place because normally they would bring in a ex-WWF kind of guy and, you know, or two guys, and that would be the main event. And um, So I was happy with semi-mains all over the place. Going into the indies then, would they book you as WWF wrestler Al Burke? Uh, sometimes they would. Uh, a lot of them like to stay away from it. They were afraid of Vince and his big power hungry, you know, corporate lawyers. I think that was more towards the end, but most of the time they would mention it, but they, they've learned not to put it on the poster. Mm. So once you mention it, you know, it's there, it's, you know, it can't be taken down. Right. Right. Um, so we mentioned some of the lighter guys who were some of the stiffer guys that you worked with. 
who are you? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, when I went out against Warrior, in fact, at the time, Ricky Rude and uh, um, Warrior were working the angle against each other. And I come back after the match, and yeah, just it, it was pretty brutal. I, he, he tried to pull my arm out of the socket, just you know, whipping me into the other corner. And I can take a damn good turnbuckle, but boy, yeah, he just tried to rip it out of there. So I get back to the locker room afterwards, and this is one where Jim first throws you out of the ring, then runs out of the ring, picks you up, throws you over the shoulder, and runs back to the locker room with you over his shoulder. Well, you think it's a free ride. No, your stomach's right there on his shoulder. <laughs> you can't breathe anyways. So I get back there, and Ricky comes over, and he's laughing. He goes, dude, that was just all fucking wrong. He goes, what part of that was wrestling? I go, hey, it's Warrior Story. It's all I know. I'm there to do my job. No, but uh, yeah, you know, it's some of the, you know, that was the early stages of Warrior. I think that was like my third match in WWF, or second match, something like that. Um, yeah, I think it was my third. The second match was against Big John Studd. And I had no idea how strong John was. I mean, nice guy, very pleasant, all that. You know, big boy, obviously. But, you know, he didn't look like a warrior, rope warriors or anything. He wasn't all buffed out, you know, shredded. And um, hit him a couple times, jumped on the second turnbuckle, went to turn around, and there he was, grabbed me by my throat, and walked me out with one hand. Holy shit. Slowly started to lose me. I'm 240 at the time. Slowly starts to lose me, puts his hand under my ass, and throws me into the turnbuckle. And I'm like, oh, damn, you are strong. <laughs> but, you know, you got to realize you never underestimate underestimate any of those guys. And, uh, yeah, you know, I was impressed by that. And, you know, like I said, John was a great guy, um, you know, very nice. I mean, um, most of the guys there were good. So was that that Ultimate Warriors match, that's the one uh, that I saw on YouTube, right? Yeah. 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 Um, so. Up, they do a like a highlight reel of Warrior where I think I'm in there like 10 or 15 different times <laughs> getting the same moves, different angles, whatever, just bam, 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 bam. <laughs> um, hey, how about the... Who can say they ever worked against the Warrior in a match? Not, not yeah. that many guys. Right. Yeah. Yeah, man, you, you worked, a, from what I've read, you worked approximately 5,000 pro wrestling matches, right? That's what um, I'm up for a, um, um, what do you call it, a, a Hall of Fame here in California. And they asked me to go back and try to figure out. And that's that was my guesstimate of what I've achieved. And part of that, like working for the guy out of Denver for eight years, when we were on the road, I had to have to work two matches a night, sometimes three. Oh, sure. So, you know, same thing, no extra pay. I got paid yeah. more than the others because I was, you know, a little higher stature than them. But, um, yeah, it's just if you want the job, here it is. This is what's required. If you don't, there's a 100, a 1,000, whatever guys willing to step into your spot to have it. Yeah. So you, you work your ass off, you do it, and you keep on moving. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just talk about a couple more matches that I saw on YouTube, uh, sure. you and Dusty Rhodes. Dusty was awesome, man, right? Dusty was, he was good. Um, I was a little intimidated. I mean, you know, not that he's a big monster powerhouse or anything. He's a big boy, obviously. But, you know, what a huge legend, you know, from way back in the day. 
And, um, but I was very happy. I worked with them the first time. And then it was like a month later, we come to another TV taping and I'm on the thing and I go, you know, I, I go up to Dusty and go, Hey, we're working together again tonight. And I go, did they not know we just worked together? Cause a lot of times they don't like to duplicate that stuff. And Dusty goes, Oh no, I asked for you. I just had foot surgery and I knew you wouldn't hurt me. <laughs> and I go, shit, I ain't lifting a finger tonight. You know, <laughs> just beat me up. Hell yeah. But no, and I, it was really sad because Dusty was supposed to come to the, our Vegas convention, so I was really looking forward to seeing him again. And sadly, I think it was like six or eight months before the convention, he passed away. So another one of our legends that's gone forever, which is, yeah, it's tough. I mean, um, what's his name? Uh, Paul Orndorff, Mr. Wonderful. Yeah. I travel a lot with Paul, and I, I knew he had Alzheimer's, dementia. And I, I, I knew he was coming. His son had told us, he let all of us know that knew we were in that circle. So I come walking across the uh, casino and Paul's sitting there and all of a sudden he's like, so you could see the wheels were try, trying to work. He's like, you know, I remember something about you. So I come up and I told him who I was, you know, and I've worked with a lot of dementia, Alzheimer's people before, and, you know, they're not doing this on purpose. It's just something they can't help. But I tar- started telling him stories. Then you could just see the the sparks going off. Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah. And Paul was a character, you know, loved him to death, too. And we had a lot of great memories. And, you know, another one, just so sad that he's gone. But, you know, yeah. life. Yeah, man. So sad. One other match I watched, uh, you and Saba Simba, to- Tony Tatlis, Tony Atlas. I met Tony Atlas quite a few times. I, 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 right after high school in 99, I trained to be a pro wrestler with two guys that actually trained up in uh, Minnesota, uh, oh. bad crew. And I trained in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And so I worked the indie scene in for like two years around Pennsylvania. So Tony's been working the indie scene for a long time. And I met him on quite a few shows. He's a, he's a character. That's the only guy that I ever got in a big verbal argument with that I thought we were going to go to blows. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we come back from our match, and he goes, you fucked it all up. I'm like, fuck <laughs> you. And I wasn't sure if he was ribbing me or not, but it didn't seem like it. So I basically got in his face. I'm like, fuck you. The agents come running over. What's going on? I go, you know, he's calling me out. I go, you guys know me. I know my job. I know what I'm doing here. And fuck you. And I walked away. Well, I don't know if it's just coincidental, but it was like a month later, he was gone. Oh, shit. You know, so it probably wasn't because I, you know, I don't have that kind of a pull there. But if he caused other problems, you know, Vince, he doesn't like problems. Yeah. You know, he likes a smooth boat and, you know, stuff. So, um, yeah, that was my my big Saba Simba moment. and. (laughs) But, you know, at that point, I had been around for probably at least four years in the WWF, so I didn't have to take shit from anybody. Yeah. And like I said, you know, I got Ricky Rude and Kurt Henning and, you know, these guys, you know, watching my back. I mean, they wouldn't have probably stepped in, but they were there and witnessing it. And they came over afterwards and patted me in the back and was like, yeah, that was good. (laughs) (laughs) I heard you mention, I heard you say agents there. So we're... Like who was calling the matches? Back then, did they have agents like like calling the matches? Like 
or were you guys calling it in the ring? I don't think the agents called the matches. I the agents were there, but I think they only really were agents on the house shows. I mean, they helped run everything. I mean, Lanza, uh, George Steele, uh, Rene Goulet, guys like that were the agents my whole time there. Um, but they, they never called, you know, TV matches. So I don't know who that was, you know, if that was actually, you know, the, the talent themselves. Like I said, you know, the, they would ask if there's anything I want to do, and I always would put myself over as I'm putting you over. What do you want? Yeah. You know, but um, – you know, I didn't want that reputation. I saw some of the guys get it, and they weren't around long. I mean, I did five years with WWF, so I, I'm happy with that. And like I said, it was good paydays. It was fun. And who gets to work with a list like that? You know. Yeah. All right. How many pay per views were was WWF running back then? Was was it I just? I didn't follow it that closely as far as pay-per-views because I knew I was never at that level. Well, that's what that's like my question. Like, so you work all year round for the WWF, like working all these shows, like travel the country, you know, everywhere. And then like WrestleMania comes around and they're like, nah, we're, we're not, we don't need you tonight. Just stay yeah. home. Are you yeah. like, are you invited to the show at all or what? the? Not fuck? even a free freaking ticket. Can you believe that? What the fuck? And even if it's in our, you know, home area, no. <laughs> so, no, it's just, you know, you realize you can't fight the system. Um, if you do, you're only going to have an extra headache. It's not worth it. Just take whatever they give you, walk away and be happy with that. And don't look for any more. And that was always my philosophy. And I tried to tell these guys that they would put on their yellow trunks like Hogan and something they could have walk out and they go, Hey, whoa, 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 go change those trunks. No, you ain't wearing yellow. <laughs> and that happened quite a few times. Well, it's funny. A couple, a couple months ago now, uh, a friend of mine passed away who I, who I trained with and uh, they had like a big reunion show and I haven't wrestled in 22 years. And they asked me to do it and to be in this battle Royal. So like I, I was training. I, you know, I, I actually went up to Dr. Tom's school in uh, Tennessee. He showed me how to, he showed me how to take the bump over the top rope. Like, I mean, I, I trained harder than I have in the last 20 years, like, you know, worked out all this stuff. Oh, so like I even ordered like my own trunks and everything. That's where I was getting at. So I ordered my own trunks and everything. And I, I ordered like my favorite colors, yellow and red. Right. And I sent a picture to my buddies, all my buddies in this group, group text and i was like check it out and it says r.i.p love bug down the side and my one buddy's like yeah they look cool but they're a little little hogany don't you think and i was like ah shit yeah. <laughs> so i ordered i had to order i another pair i ordered red and black well if, if you've ever been even around backstage at wwf tv there's signs everywhere no matching tights well, it may not be matching in your match, but if it matches one of the big boys, there again, no. <laughs> so, but you know, it's the rules we had to play by. No big deal. But yeah, for those of you rookies that didn't learn your lesson and went out and <laughs> became a Trumpster. <laughs> what? Uh, so, tell. You got any good party stories from the from days on the road? Oh, uh, yeah. We're might have been Louisville, Kentucky again. Um, I've got a big crew of people. We're in a bar. I think it was Kurt that was the drunkest, Kurt Hemming. 
and he's got this little girl and she was just a doll and she was drunk too. And she's, he's pulled her back on his lap. He's halfway laying back and kissing on her and stuff. And the bouncers come over and go, Hey, knock it off. And he looks up and he goes, fuck. <laughs> and they're like, Oh, okay. <laughs> and next thing you know, the riot tops show up. I mean, full riot gear, the headgear, the batons, the shields. And they must have told him, yeah, the WWF boys are in town and they're looking for a fight. <laughs> so we get outside and Dino Bravo was with us. And I remember, you know, we're, everybody's getting to their cars. It's nice and calm. And we had partied pretty hardy. And all of a sudden, um, the, uh, Dino takes uh, Kurt, puts him in the car. And he's just ready to close the door. And the cop goes, good thing you boys are leaving. And Dino turns around and goes, who you call him boys, pigs? <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Boom, boom, boom. And all of us just got to take a step back. And so, and uh, um, the rockers were in on that one. And, you know, they were lipping off. And, yeah, so they all ended up going to jail. And one of my guys went to jail. He called, or the jail called me at like 4 or 5 in the morning. He wants to know if you'll come bail him out. I go, no. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I may be booking them, but, you know, I ain't their agent or nothing. They call like three times like, no, I'm not coming down. I don't have the money. How's that? You know, and my buddy, you know, that was in the in jail, he's like, well, you know, you just got paid. So you had the money. <laughs> but it's like, you know, so that was one of our nights. And that was one where the uh, rockers, I don't remember. I think it was Marty. Every time he'd get a chance, he'd lip off to the cops, and they would just beat him. And, I mean, back then, you know, it's like, you know, you're talking very early 90s at the latest. And, yeah, you know, so they go, hey, will you guys come out and sign some autographs? They do. On the way back in, he'd lip off again, bam, bam, bam. <laughs> you know, it's like, fine. so they show up the next day, and his face is just puffy and bruised and you know, cuts and scrapes. And Vince was like, what happened? It was one of Burke's guys got us into a fight. <laughs> one of my guys. My guy did end up going to jail, but, you know, he was just stupid, opened up his mouth and got cuffed instantly and never a fight. But, yeah. So, but Kurt Henning ended up bailing everybody out that night. So, that, that was a good thing. So, you mentioned a couple times, like, your guys, like, you had the vans, like, you rented three vans, you know, take the guys here. Like, how, how were you... Like, how did you get put in charge of? That was from Tom Stone when he would tell me, he would call me up and say, okay, you've got uh, whatever, Wheeling, West Virginia, and Indianapolis, Indiana, or, you know, and one other spot, you know, a three-night tour. I need you to get 20 guys. So I would go through and pick, and they, they pretty much left it up to me. When they got up to over 20, I remember one night, I think it was 25 or 26 guys. I mean, it was a is this huge... for like the house shows you talk about, like for like booking the house. Well, shows you or... taping. Oh shit. Really? No, that's how many guys I would just bring, not counting the other guys that were there and the locals and stuff. So, um, I remember one night, I mean, I was so low on talent. I brought a referee that knew how to wrestle, but he was a little guy. He fit in perfect to the WWE. <laughs> I put nothing in, you know, 150 pounds of buck and a half soaking wet. But anyways, he's wandering around. He's all sad-faced, and 
they told him you're too small to work. And he walks by and Andre goes, hey, kid, what's wrong? He told me I'm too small to work. He goes, did you get paid? He goes, yeah. He goes, good. Go get me some ice for my wine. <laughs> <laughs> and Andre, he started chuckling and, you know, that big old chuckle coming from deep in the well. Um but yeah, those are some of the fun times we had. And yeah, it was good. But yeah, there were times that, you know, the crews were big and we'd have to really pack into these big minivans and um yeah. But you know, there were really fun times that we still me and some of my buddies talk about to this day. We'll call them, Hey, remember that trip here? Remember that happening? And yeah. So I mean yeah. we we did have one there there was a girl that one of the guys was drunk and he was one of the um, Milwaukee guys. So we told Stone, I go, we're going to play a rib on him. Don't say anything other than you told us. So we go to the guy and they go, Hey, I heard a rumor. You, you went to bed with her. Didn't you hear? She's got clap. How are you going to go home to your wife now? <laughs> so, and we, and you know, so he's like, no, no, you're, you're ribbing me. I'm like, no, Hey, Stone, Stone. Remember that girl last night? He goes, yeah, the one with the clap. Yeah, her. <laughs> Well, the guy ended up going home, couldn't have sex with his girlfriend. We kept it. We, I don't think we ever did tell him the truth. <laughs> he calls my other buddy, and, and, um, and it was funny because he goes, huh, I just got back from the doctor. All clear. Clean bill of health. I can go back and have sex again. Wow, that was close. <laughs> so we did have a lot of fun, too. And you know, like I said, we still talk about it, some of us, to this day. That's awesome, man. So fucking cool, man. The the stories that you uh, probably can't share are, are probably even better, man. Well, people have asked me to write a book. I've had a few. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I have three daughters, first of all. No, no information <laughs> can come out on that. I have friends that would implicate all of us. We won't do that to each other. Our, our, our secrets go to the grave with us. <laughs> That's awesome, man. So, uh the, let's talk about the UWF a little bit. I have, uh, <laughs> yeah. So was that was that during all this time, or like after your time in the WWF? Or that, that was uh, right at the end of my time in WWF. Um, Herb Abrams somehow had heard about me and contacted me, and I told him, "I says if I'm coming in, I'm not doing straightaway jobs." So the first place he took me was North Dakota. We ran a state fair up there. And I ended up, I think I did a job for, what was it, Stevie Ray, the white Stevie Ray, not the uh, tag team guy. And then the local North Dakota champion had to do a job for me. The North Dakota State Wrestling Champion then had to do a job for me. So it was a Herb Abrams, you know, total farce kind of thing. But, hey, I was happy to get on there. And um, it's there again. I took a bunch of my guys out of mini up there, and we had a good time, lots of fun. And then after that, Herb talked to me and sat me down one day and wanted to recruit me to work in his office. And I go, dude, I've heard horror stories about you. You're a bitch. You don't pay your bills. And, you know, I'm very truthful and honest with a lot of people. and I don't mix my words. And he goes, oh, I'll be good to you. I'm like, you're a lying sack of shit. Shut up, Abram. <laughs> well, we ended up becoming friends, and he took me on a tour to Israel where we took girls over to Israel and it turned out they wanted a porn show and Herb did fight them on that. So I don't think Herb knew that going into it. Cause he got mad and he told, no, my girls don't do that. My girls are wrestlers. 
because they want him to go down licking pussies and during the wrestling match and all that. <laughs> so we ended up getting in a big fight. I didn't think we were going to make it out of Israel. <laughs> Another Herb Abrams famous story, yeah. Um, but, you know, on the way to the airport, the hotel calls Herb. I have never seen a room this bad in my whole career of 30 years in the, you know, in the entertainment, in the uh, hotel business. Herb was a slob. So I'm, I'm worried that we're going to get to the airport. They're going to hook us up. We're going to go to jail. We're never getting out of there. Luckily, we got on the plane. And went, so, but then we go to Hawaii, and I think that was like a year later. And I'll give you a little backstory after I tell you. Herb calls me up and says, I'm taking uh, Dr. Dusty Williams and you to Hawaii with me. You want to go? Hell yeah. I get to go party with Steve. Yeah. And Steve and I had only, you know, partied a few times. So it was, it was going to be a big treat. And he goes, oh, I'm giving Steve a ticket for his girlfriend. I'll give you one too. And I didn't have anybody that I was really uh, wanting to go to Hawaii with, you know, we're going to Maui. So, you know, romance Island of the world kind of thing. I'm like, I gave my ticket back to him. Go, no, I'm going alone. And so the night before, he gets in a fight with his girlfriend. So he calls up one of Heidi Fleiss's hookers, which was one of his regulars, and brings her with. Well, this is back before the whole 9-11, all that stuff. No security at the airport. You could use the other ticket. You didn't have to show ID. So he takes one of her hookers over there. So three days in, Herb's like, okay, I can't take her anymore. I'm done. Take her back to the airport. And, you know, he challenged me. He goes, they're saying it's 50 bucks to change your ticket. Let's see if you can do it without costing me my money. So I drove her to the airport. You know, if you've been to Maui, it's the other side of the island. So it's like a half a day trip going over and back. I get back. I throw the 50 bucks. I go, you're my bitch today. You're buying drinks. <laughs> So he sends the waitress at the pool over with a whole tray of drinks. And there's probably at least 12, 15 drinks, something like that. And they're all the same. And the poor girl's like, um, I, I guess these are for you. I go, yeah, just send them down. I'll see you back here in about 30 minutes. For what? I go, the next round. Because <laughs> that's the way, you know, Steve and I were drinking. And, yeah, just boom, 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 boom. Well, her being the little Jewish fair-haired Jewish boy, he had to sit in the shade the whole time, and Steve and I are in the pool just having a great old time. <laughs> Holy shit, man. So, but then we did a blackjack brawl at the MGM Grand, the Garden in Las Vegas, which sadly became one of the, the worst shows ever, I think, in the history of wrestling for a pay-per-view. Herb wouldn't give away tickets, anything like that. I think we had, like, maybe at the most you know, a couple thousand people in this big arena. So it looked horrible. Um, the night, uh, the night before the matches, we're all in town. We're all, we're doing our promos and everything. All of a sudden Herb comes up to me in a panic. My girlfriend's here. She just caught me with a hooker. I told her it was yours. You got to cover me. Well, my wife was there cause we were back together at the time and, and I'm like, okay, I got some bad news for you. Now, it's not true news, but it's news. I go, I'm taking the fall for this. She goes, oh, God, yeah. She goes, you've told me the stories about Herb. I understand. So I talked to his girlfriend, and she didn't really believe me, which most people wouldn't, you know, over Herb. But anyways, yeah, I, I kind of convinced her. I'm like, yeah, I was there. And then all of a sudden, my wife called, and I had to run. And, you know, please don't tell my wife and all this kind of bullshit. 
but that was that was Herb's life, and yeah, you know, it's it's sad. I was really I was very upset when he died because this guy he did have a gift. He could go out and raise a half a million dollars in a weekend for a show or his wrestling his new wrestling magazine, which never happened. <laughs> um, yeah, he really had the gift of gab, and he could talk people out of their money, and he did it all the time, and. Um, to throw it away on drugs. Yeah. Um, one day before that happened, we were moving. Um, I brought my two daughters at the time who were like, um, I don't think they were even teenagers yet. They were just preteen, like, you know, 10 and 12 and another friend and Herb's laying on the driveway crying. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And he was all drugged out and I I wouldn't even talk to him. And all of a sudden, I see the kids walking by, and they're kind of like, I'm like, kids, stop. Look at this. This is drugs. This is as good as it gets. Does this look like any fun? And they're like, oh, no. And I go, good. Keep working. I go, her, fuck you. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you know, so I'd been through a lot of the highs and lows with Herb. and uh, But the fact that he had a chance to do something. I mean, he did better than most people, but he could have done so much better and he blew it all up his nose, which was sad. I actually called his um, um, judge, Judge Myra in uh, um, Malibu and Herbert flunked two piss tests and his lawyers got him out of it. And I said, please don't let this keep happening. He's going to die because of this. And he did. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, it's like the Carrie Von Eric story. Same thing. You know, he, passed, he flunked the test. And he was scared to go to jail and he took his own life. How sad. Yeah. You know, I, man, I have a friend that did the exact same thing, man. He, he didn't want to go back to jail and he killed himself. Yeah. You, you know, and I guess, you know, I understand it's the easy way out, but it's not easy for everybody you leave behind. Um, try to get help. I mean, that's all I can say. And I know it's easy for me to say, cause I'm on the outside. I'm not the one struggling. You know, I've, I've had my bouts with depression and things like that. And, um, but I knew it was up to me to fix it. And I did. So I think I feel the same thing's true with drugs. You know, you can decide not to, what do you have to go to some camp that makes you clean out? And then you say, okay, now I won't do it. No, just don't do it. Yeah, that's I've, my opinion. But yeah, I've always had the same opinion too. It's called willpower. Willpower, but uh, my my girlfriend doesn't agree with me. But yeah, damn women. <laughs> <laughs> the ride with Herb Abrams was quite exciting, traumatic at times, and yeah, it was heartbreaking. Like I said, you know, I was very upset when he died, and I, I was seeing us go a lot of places together, and I still have his whole library here in California. Yeah, that's what that's what's on my notes. So you own the whole UWF tape library, right? Well, he had given it, uh, given me the power of all West Coast operations. And when he died, I called the family. They were in the midst of you know everything, and um, I says, you know, I have these tapes. And they go, well, you give them to us if we make money, we'll give it back. I'm, no, 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 no. I've already worked with Herb. That it ain't working that way. Cash up front or no tapes to you. They go keep the tapes. I go okay. Bye. <laughs> so I did. But, uh, yeah. Now, the, give you the quick backstory on our Maui trip. Yeah. Herb's sister is married to an FBI field agent. Now, all I can see is some badass dude that goes out there and gets bad guys all the time. 
Herb gets his sister's social security number, gets a credit card, and that's what we all went to Maui on. <laughs> he maxed it out because every day we'd go to the ATM. He goes, oh, I got 50 bucks. I'm taking 50 bucks. And, uh, you know, he asked for a couple of advances and stuff. So, yeah, he did that. And um, so, yeah, I got a free trip on his sister. I mean, it came out of the credit card because they never had to pay because Herb, I guess, before he died, did confess to that and sign a paper. So she wasn't held liable or anything. But there again, another crazy ride of Herb Abrams. And- Damn, man. Did you see the Dark Side of the Ring episode of it? Is it pretty much all true? Uh, 99.9% probably. Damn. <laughs> yeah, no, a very high percentage was true. I mean, Herb was a mess. Um, Herb was fun. Um I got to rib him a lot. Uh, something happened to him in his childhood. He can never be around women that have makeup on or perfume. So when the hookers would show up, they all knew this. And so even though they were they didn't put on makeup or anything that day, they would still have to shower before they did anything with her. And Herb a couple times would even, I'd be in the office working, he'd be back in one of the bedrooms. All of a sudden he'd come out and he'd go, they got on the floor. And he'd jump on and he goes, look at this. <laughs> So yeah, that was the Herb Abram show. <laughs> I fucking love pro wrestling, man. <laughs> yeah. Where can you get any sicker stories than this? And it is worse, believe me. I just won't go there. <laughs> Amazing. All right. So, how the hell did you get into acting, then? Where does like where's the transition? Yeah, I don't know. Did you guys know Carl Lauer? He was the president of the Cauliflower Alley Club. No. Oh, but I want to talk about that also before we wrap this all up. He was a promoter in the um, uh, the um, Los Angeles scene here. He ran the Olympic Auditorium for many years. Um, so he knew wrestling. He knew some boxing, things like that, but very well established here in L.A. And um, uh, the first time I actually met him, Sherry Martell, Scary Sherry, Sensational Sherry, took me to the Cauliflower Alley Club back when it was at the Sportsman's Lodge in Studio City, California. So I met Carl there, and uh, we ended up keeping in touch, and I ended up joining and stuff. But all, one day Carl calls me and says, I got this great movie. I'm, I'm doing the stunt coordinating, and I think you're perfect. All you have to do is beat up, kidnap, and kill Mexicans in East L.A. I'm like, hey, I'm the bad guy, of course. Well, it turned out I worked with Lucha Libre guys, so our fight scenes were great. It was a lot of fun. I actually, you know, that was the first backdrop I'd ever taken onto onto asphalt with no padding. But, you know, it was part of the fight, and I'm like, hey, fuck, I'm doing this. This is my first movie, first fight scene. Yeah, I'm, I'm going all out on this one. So I pull out a gun to shoot the guy. He ducks under, boom, up and over, you know, and, um, so that, that was my start getting that movie. And uh, yeah, so I even think I, I just received an award at Cauliflower for the real award, which means I've done uh, at the time, the, the top winner, the top most credits was Judo Jean LaBelle and second place was Rowdy Roddy Piper in Hollywood. I'm right in between the two of them. So I thanked, you know, uh, Carl, even though he's, you know, he passed here a few years ago for giving me my shot and opening up this movie to me being an actor and a stuntman. So very thankful for that. But that started me, got an agent right after that. And 
just started going. Uh, it took me a few years to learn the system. Uh, like a lot of us, you know, you get an agent, like, okay, sitting waiting for the phone call, waiting for the phone call. Hey, any phone call? And then I realized, you know, you got to hustle. And it's like I was doing at the end of my wrestling career where I was contacting promoters say, hey, I'm working for this guy right now. I just finished up with these. Can I send you a packet of what I've done, who I've been championed for? And I remember doing that to Woody Farmer up there in uh, Bay Area wrestling. And if you know Woody, he came out of Texas, you know, Jack, Blackjack Mulligan days, all that. Big old boy. But he brought me in and we hit it off great times but yeah that really started my acting career because of carl and then i just jumped into it and once i figured it out uh most of the time i work approximately 80 to 100 times a year different jobs so i've really learned the system a lot of these are little jobs you know it might only be paying two three four hundred dollars some might pay thousands I learned that, you know, I've had girls go through college. I need money. You know, I got expenses here. And so I decided once I got my pro wrestling uh, thinking out of my brain, you know, where, no, you're going to pay me. I mean, you know, at the at the point where I left wrestling, I was 350 a day, all expenses paid, or I stay home in bed. Well, I told the story. Guess where I stayed? Home in bed. Because most of Hollywood's like, we don't care. Yeah. So then I decided, you know what, I got to take everything I can get my hands on. So that's what I do. And I even do it to this day. I'm a little pickier, but I'm just happy to work. I took my retirement and my social security and everything when the pandemic hit because I was old enough. I was making good money, but I had a weird feeling about the pandemic. And boy, am am I happy I did because I don't need to work again. Now I get to work for fun and the money is just a blessing. Nice. So as as far as acting goes, you play a cop a shit ton of times and your, your father was a cop. So is it like a genetic thing? You just are pre, you know, disposition to be able to do that. How's that work? You know, it's funny. I, I was going, going to go into the police work and I saw all the crap they go through and my whole family were cops. Um, you know, my dad's brother was a fireman, but everybody else was cops. And, you know, over, I think, four different departments in the Minneapolis area. And I just couldn't do it because I knew somebody's going to open their mouth and I'm going to shoot. (laughs) I just knew my limitations and somebody would piss me off. And it's like, you know, fuck you. Bang. How's that feel? Oops, wait. That was kind of stupid. I'm going to jail now. (laughs) At least I was smart enough. I matured enough to realize, get out of this before you have problems. Well, my dad and I have the same first and last name, but his name takes is Alan Burke. So I would wear that on a lot of the jobs, and then I would send him the picture. I'd call him up and go, hey, Dad, I'm just impersonating you today. So he loved it, and I would send him pictures and keep him up on that kind of stuff. And then I started buying the police motorcycles, and then I, I have a police car now because that helps us get booked even more. When you have your own toys, the big boys can afford anything. The little guys need help. And if you have all the toys, I can show up with a uniform, gun belt, everything, everything legit, you know, except for like the gun, you know, things like that. Um, Yeah, they're happy to hire you. So I was making uh, a very good living just being a cop. That was my bread and butter for years. And there were days that like we'd go do and it was mostly I mean, I hate to say it, but be a rapper video 
where everybody's on a short budget. Well, then two of their friends also do videos and, hey, can you come do this for me? <laughs> like, yeah, whatever. I'm already here. I, I can't leave yet because we're not done shooting here. So, yeah, let's do something quick. <laughs> so, you know, we be we could bang out three music videos in a day. But, you know, it just, um, yeah, and my, actually at the time, because wrestling, I had a very long ponytail. Mm-hmm. I would have to tuck it up inside of a hat. And I lost a couple of jobs because the guy said, oh, take off your hat once. I took off the hat and, oh, was that a ponytail? And I'd see everybody go, oh, back to work. So right there I knew I lost that job. Oh, sure. And so I talked to my agent and we, we came up with a plan. And when I finally cut it, you know, he was very happy. And um, at that point, um, he sent me out to get new headshots and, I have a black and white headshot as a cop that I did nothing but book constantly for years. And now we've gone into color, but yeah, it's, it's been a really good run. And I really have to thank my agent more than anything. Cause he saw me as a cop. And when he sent me out to get the headshots, he goes, I want to see a real tough cop, but I also want to see a fun loving donut eating cop. Yeah. That's, that's where the money's at right there. Well, it is, but I, that tough cop gets hired all the time. The donut yeah, cop, maybe three, four times a year. Yeah, but who doesn't love the donut cop? Come on. I know, but, you know, in the music videos, especially the rappers, no, we're beating them up. We're shooting them. We're, <laughs> we're ruining their day. Now, you, you play cops a lot, but you also played uh, Punchy. Yes. Which you did that multiple times. There's, a, You know, that's a reoccurring role for you that's not a cop. Yeah, no, Punchy... Um, that director, um, I've been in every one of his movies. I met him way back in probably 92, maybe. And I, I applied for a role as a cop back then. <laughs> and um, he took me and then he goes, you know, it was just an extra part back then. I think it was like my second or third part period. And he goes, um, I, I, I see other things for you. Do, do you want to do a speaking role? I'm, Sure. So he gave me a couple lines there as a cop. And uh, and I'm getting whipped by a, a masseuse, uh, what is it, S&M or whatever they're called. Um, whipped by her as a cop. Or, you know, I got my stuff. Or not a biker. But anyways, I had cop stuff and all that weird shit. So, but that guy ended up getting uh, hired by Full Moon Films, Charles Band. And Charles had bought in the first Killjoy movie already done, did a second one. It wasn't so good, but for whatever reason, decided to send us to China to film Killjoy 3. So we took a plane to Hong Kong, a train into China, and I was there for 12 days making this movie. I, I knew the special effects guy, so he had already done my head for another another project. So he had my head. So he made the punchy mask. He's made all three versions because you have punchy three, punchy four, and then punchy five, which was uh, psycho circus. So punchy's mask has kind of evolved too, but yeah, that was a fun role. Um, I got to do a lot of fun things there. I fell off a step ladder, 12 feet to my back with no padding, stupid wrestler. (laughs) But um, we couldn't cheat it anyway. Yeah. Um, because I, when I hit this table, the table, I knew the tablecloth would pop up. You'd see underneath it and everything. 
So I had the table specially built. Well, the guy in China who was a carpenter spoke no English. So I had went around his shop, find the materials and showed him how to build it, how I wanted to put together. He did a great job. But um, I had the craft service freeze bottles of water because I knew I was going to lay there for at least an hour or two. <laughs> well, they shot all around me. So I did. And it, it didn't hurt bad. I wasn't coughing up blood. I've done that before. But, but yeah, Punchy has evolved. I, t- I always played Punchy as being a very dumb clown. And by Punchy 4, which was um, uh, Killjoy Goes to Hell, we go to hell to the devil running court against Killjoy. Yep. So that was kind of fun. But I actually had to do uh, be on the witness stand and give out a monologue in Carney. And I can't memorize something to say and then convert it in my head and say it in Carney all in the same thing. <laughs> so I had to make a cue card and I could read it in English. And then I, as I'm reading, I can convert it to Carney and say it. <laughs> but yeah, that was quite a, quite a little trip, but yeah. Um, Punchy has evolved where Punchy has his own little uh, fan group. Oh, most yeah. of the Punchy Girl clowns. <laughs> and uh, and my favorite thing are Beazunnies, which I'm guessing are boobs. I never got the full thing on that, but Punchy <laughs> always was Beazunnies. <laughs> so that was my guess. <laughs> no, Punchy was a lot of fun. Punchy will hopefully be coming back in a movie next year, filming either later this year, which has almost run out now, or next year. And it's one of the clown motel movies. So mm-hmm. Punchy's going to come back and wrestle another wrestler <laughs> uh, who's dressed up as a clown. So I'm not sure how it figures in, but I put Punchy out there. I've gotten the okay from John Machago because uh, John owns the Punchy character. Full Moon never asked him to sign any of our characters over, so we own them all. Nice, very cool. So I see on your on your resume, you're not only an actor, uh, you are a weapons master, director, stunt coordinator, and animal wrangler. Yes. Tell like how did how does all that come about? Like stunts, of course, you know the wrestling. You're gonna you're gonna want to do your own stunts. What was the animal wrangling? I ended up having such a good reputation with animals as we were doing our own movies. I would go get the animals for different jobs and um, I was able to do, you know, get them to do whatever the director needed as long as I could keep the director out of the picture. In fact, I just ran into this. I had a Belgian Melois, you know, one of the big powerful police dogs out with me and I told him I don't want anybody around and no other dogs. Oh, don't worry. No other dogs. There was a dog. there, And they go, don't worry about it. I go, no, you don't understand. The dog ended up wiping me off my feet. <laughs> I ended up having a leg lock on her just to hold her because her collar was coming off because she was slipping out of it. That poor little dog would have gotten chewed half to death, <laughs> if not to death, you know, because they wouldn't listen to me. Um, I've been blessed that I've worked with, um, baby tigers. I've worked with full-grown elephants, uh, full-grown mountain lion, snakes, uh, mice. Um, I I did a commercial where I had a possum on my shoulder, a live possum, uh, things like that. So um, I've been able to get a real reputation with animals where I can just walk up and become friends with them. So I guess I'm kind of an animal whisper kind of a thing. 
So uh, people hire me to do that once in a while. And hmm. I had one of the music videos and I had a cat and the cat, I was trying to be nice to the cat and really gently hold it. And the cat clawed me and went by the scruff of the neck and held it that way. I'm like, not today. <laughs> and it, you know, cats instantly, oh, my mama did that. Oh, no, I'm behaving now. Right. And they instantly mellow out. So um, I don't know. This, this whole animal thing sounds like some bullshit you made up to me. <laughs> well, if, you, if you go back on my Instagram, the very early pictures were all with animals. <laughs> so I actually have pictures. So I can legitimately say I've worked with these animals. <laughs> all right. Man, this has been awesome. You keep you keep mentioning the, the music videos, so let's talk about that. Uh, you've worked with Eminem, The Offspring, Lindsay Lohan, Adam Lambert, Soundgarden, Marilyn Manson, Pharrell Williams. I mean, you've been in some mm-hmm. pretty big music videos. Uh, some of them are music videos of the year. The Toby Keith and one of the M&Ms were both uh, videos of the year. Uh, obviously, M&M would have been MTV. The other one was the country music station. Uh, Grammy winners. Yeah, you know, I've been very blessed in that, too. I mean, luck of the draw, maybe. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, just doing that music videos, I've realized that's easy money and it's fun and uh, that really helped my kids through school because their friends would be like, oh, my God, I just saw your dad in Offspring's video. You know, he pushed the lead singer out of the way and walked on. That's the one I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah. right there. Yeah. yeah, You know, and that was my second video ever. So my first one was Marilyn Manson, and I took my daughters to that set. And they still tease me to this day, you screwed us up for life. We're completely ruined. <laughs> Marilyn Manson. <laughs> but they were just sitting there like, <laughs> so you know he put on a hell of a show um yeah you know it's been good uh toby keith doing the stunts on his thing you know as stunt guys we fight over who gets to do the stunt we'll start fighting each other just to say no i can get it, I can get it. so i get choke slammed through a table stuff like that um toby keith came in the second day he wasn't there for it he watched the footage he goes you guys are crazy you do it <laughs> fun and money. He goes, I used to do it just because I was drunk and stupid. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, these videos, um, Billie Eilish, huge teen hit all over the world and even preteen. I ended up picking up uh, probably fifteen to 20,000 of her fans on Instagram. Nice. Just her fans. Now, some of them, and I posted this too, so I'm not bullshitting. <laughs> um, you can go and any artwork they drew of me and Billy, I ended up posting it and giving them credit. Nice. So um, I probably have at least 50 pictures up there that the fans have drawn for me. So I, I always felt that was kind of cool and try to pay back for them. And every once in a while they would say, oh, my God, he liked my pictures. You know, you know the cop in the video, you know, all this stuff. <laughs> so I have a lot of friends in like Brazil and Argentina and, you know, Europe and, you know, so all over from her, um, Cardi B, I did her album cover. I probably <laughs> did eight to 10,000 of her fans on Instagram. Damn. Now, the weird part about that was, and this is a very strange story, the picture of her, I, and the other cop, somebody had tattooed to their thigh. So that means I'm on some guy's thigh. Really? Come on, dude. You got nothing better than this. <laughs> But I go, that's fans, and they will go to the extreme. And well, I actually have a picture of that on there too. Yeah, that's the. I had some fan go, oh my god, you know, somebody just got this tattoo of you. I'm like, no, 
That's the real Al Burke fan club. Yeah. Well, there is a uh, Killjoy uh, and Punchy tattoos out there too. I did find. Nice. So what you need to do is get that guy's face tattooed on your thigh. I have no tattoos. I'm a virgin and staying that way. <laughs> Al, this has been awesome, man. Before we wrap it up, tell everybody about the uh, the Cauliflower Alley Club because that that is really beneficial to uh, ex pro wrestlers and stuff. Yeah, it was originally developed for actors, boxers, and pro wrestlers. And now the pro wrestling has kind of taken over a lot of it. It's called the Cauliflower Alley Club. I think it's .org. If you spell it all out. There's a um, at least a Facebook page I know of it, but there is a website. Uh, it does benefit any wrestler. I think boxers could get in there, too, that are having financial difficulties um, if it's within good reason, they will help you pay a few of your bills. Like they don't go off paying everything. but So that's the real benefit. The fun part of it for us is we get to go there and see friends that maybe we haven't traveled with in years, like the Paul Arndor story, uh, Colonel De Beers. Uh, Eddie showed up, and he was you could tell he was sick. And same thing, I traveled with you know Colonel many, many thousands of miles. And seeing him there, and he came to say his goodbyes, basically, because he knew he was sick. Uh, sad, sad stories, but it's a good fellowship. Uh, you make new friends every year, um, you know, so that's kind of cool. But, it, yeah, it does benefit um, anybody who's in need once they get through the process and everything. So that's that's kind of the cool part. And, uh, the fans can come. They can meet any of us, all of us. Some of the boys aren't as, you know, giving, shall we say. They'll come and they'll get their award and they'll split right afterwards. I made sure when I got my award this last year, I learned because I got an award like 11 years ago, I think, a humanitarian award there. I stayed and took pictures with every single person that got an award that night. Because, you know, I figured, hey, we're all here. You know, yeah. this, is, this is fun. And like Mickey James, I, I had only met her once before. You know, uh, 666, the Lucha, Luchador. I hadn't met him before, but Ray Mysterio and Ray I've known for years. You know, so it's nice to see new and meet, you know, you know, reintroduce yourself to the old if, you, if they don't remember. And um, yeah, it's just a really good organization and it doesn't cost a whole lot to join. Yeah, it's, I think it's, it's less great. than a hundred bucks for the less than a hundred bucks for the year. I think I'm, I'm a member also. So, I mean, it, you know, I wish I would have known I wouldn't have wasted my money if I would have just become a, um, a lifetime member. At the time, I think it was three hundred or three fifty. That's three years or yeah. over three years. Now I think it's four around four hundred. Um, still, that you're a lifetime member. You can go every year. Then all you have to do is buy your banquet ticket to the show. Uh, you know, to the um, to the two dinners, and you're you're in. You're part of the whole thing. Yeah, you know, well, yeah so been, it's very beneficial to fans too that you can actually come. Most of us will take our picture with you. We don't have a problem with that. Um, you know, I had one guy that um, was a fan of punching and everything, so he bought brought boxing gloves and had me sign the boxing gloves for him. Nice. So you know, kind of cool, brand new gloves. I mean, you know, he didn't chintz out or anything. No, he had nice gloves, but yeah, you know, so we really, you know, when you learn the fans are what's taking care of us all these years, you know, don't piss on them. Sure. 
Thanks so much, man. Ray, do you have anything else for Al? I got one question left for you, Al. Uh-oh. What is it? So we always do this thing called a real question, which means you got 60 seconds to answer this thing. Uh, can you do it? Can you actually answer a question in 60 seconds? Maybe. Are you capable? <laughs> All right. All right. Here you go. Wait, wait. If it's for you, no. For him, yes. <laughs> All right. I'm still going to ask it. I'm still going to ask it, so it doesn't matter. So um, I, I, before I ask it, I'm going to say this has been awesome. Really appreciate you being on with us. Uh, you're amazing. So here's the question. If you could wrestle anyone across all time, what is the one wrestler you would want to wrestle and have you win? Um, I would say Hulk Hogan. Hulk got me into this business, like I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, he was of such you know high stature. I mean, he was a you know top dog. So uh, there's no way that I would have ever got to wrestle him. No, I would still do a job for Hogan. How's that? <laughs> I don't want you to do the job. I want you to beat him. That's the question. <laughs> I could do that, but um, yeah, you you know that would be probably my dream one. Um, yeah, because I've been, like I said earlier, I've been blessed. I've worked with some of the biggest guys in the world. You know, I got to go to Japan for a match, wrestle over there. I also got to go to Japan and, and shoot a commercial over there. So, you know, it's been hitting on all parts. Yeah, it's just, it's cool. And wrestling has been a big part of my life, even though I fought getting into it because I thought it was stupid, and it still is. <laughs> Al, plugs, man. Where can people find you, man? Uh, the easiest place is probably Instagram, where it's Al Burke four seven eight two, I believe it is. That's where I'm taking most people. Um, my Facebook, I'm leaving to the industry of Hollywood and uh, some wrestling, but um, mostly just Hollywood because that's I still get booked off of it. Back, quick, quick plug. I still have MySpace, <laughs> and you want to know why? Before you laugh too hard. Every band in the world is still on MySpace, and I've done seven, eight, maybe nine hundred music videos. I need to be on MySpace. <laughs> really, MySpace is still around. It is. See, most people don't know that, and I get laughed at for the oh god, yeah, that was back in what the the seventies, the eighties. <laughs> yeah. Well, guess what? You add up, and even say a hundred dollars times each video being paid. That's a good shitload of money. Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. Well, laugh all you want. Well, I'm making my trip to the bank. Well, fuck this. I'm not doing podcasts anymore. I'm going back to MySpace. Yeah. <laughs> Al, thank you, man. We appreciate it, man. This was awesome. Yeah, thank, you. thank you, guys. Hope to see you again soon. And uh, Absolutely. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, buddy. Yes, okay. sir. Ple- pleasure's all ours. That is, right? <laughs> That's right.